We have begun to study the book that laid the foundation of our representative constitutional government. It is the bedrock of both Judaism and Christianity. It is the fifth book of the Old Testament, and in chapter 1 of Deuteronomy, verses 19 and following, Moses is reminding his people about a critical moment in their history where their fathers and mothers made the wrong decision. He uses their parents' failure to challenge the present generation to make a different choice. Let's join our study leader, Dave Wurtzen, as he begins our study with an illustration from his counselor days. Listen and discover how Dave's group of guys had to make a vital decision. Who knows? You could be at this kind of turning point today. I'll never forget, even though it was many years ago, there's one cabin of guy that's imprinted on my mind. I think there's a reason for that. It's because on my day off on Thursday, I went out and spent the day kind of getting, you know, recouped after all this intense counseling. I came back Thursday night about 9.30, walked into my cabin, the head unit leader was sitting in the cabin, not sitting, but standing in the cabin, interrogating my 15 guys. Because what had happened is there had been a robbery in the camp. Someone had gone into a, a cabin and stolen several goods. And the unit leader thought that my cabin of guys had done it. Now, he had some good reasons for thinking that was so. Because earlier that day, they had gone into the town of Scroon Lake, which is about the size of Midlothian, although it doesn't have the several thousand people surrounding it. Strewn Lake just has about 2,000 Adirondack people that are, a lot of them are mountain people. And my guys had gone in and they'd gotten several six packs of beer and they had marched right through the center of town yelling, we're Wurtzen's Raiders, which does not do a lot for the testimony of Word of Life in the community. Well, that's what happened. And that's why the unit leader had some good reason for thinking that my guys had stolen the goods, but they hadn't. They'd done that, but they hadn't stolen the goods. Well, he said, I'm going to search all your bags. Well, in the state of New York, you need a search warrant to search bags or anything else. And so they laughed at him, but he proceeded to do it anyway. And I heard this ka-thump, 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 ka-thump. All this goods started spilling out the windows of our cabin because there were just some screens. You could push the screens out and just drop anything you didn't want someone to get outside. The unit leader heard what was happening, went outside the door and walked around with his hat and came back in with everything you can imagine, cigarettes, a little bit of marijuana, uh, just anything you could think of was in his hat. He said, who's is this? And they all go, I don't know. None of our stuff. You know, one of those situations. Finally, he left. And after he left, I gathered him together. And we had developed a little bit of rapport and several hours together and playing athletics together. I finally said, I said, guys, just level with me. What's going on? They said, well, we're really angry. We're angry because we really didn't steal. We didn't steal anything. We'll admit, we did blow things in Scroon Lake royally, but we didn't steal. And we talked a little bit further, and, and the, the, the incredible thing about this was they were going to stay another week. We had to put up with this for another week. So the other counselor and I uh, got together and said, we've got to try to do something to try to reach these guys. Well, directly across from the island, where the Word of Life Teenage Camp is, there's a mile across the lake. You can look up and there's a great big pointed mountain. Now it's not nearly as big as the mountains are a little bit farther to the north called Mount Marcy and, and Camelback and Haystack and some mountains like that, but it's pretty tall. 
And one thing about this mountain is, unlike the major peaks of the Adirondack, it sticks out there all by itself. All by its lonesome, it's there. And another thing about it is, everyone can see it. So I come up with the idea, what we're going to do is I'm going to take seven of the roughest guys in my cabin. One of the guys was the wrestling champion of the state of Pennsylvania. Another guy was a wrestling champion of, of Nassau County in New York, which is the big county where, where Long Island and parts of New York City are. And uh, they thought they were really tough. I said, I'm going to get them out in the woods because all these city kids have never been there as far as I can and see if that does something. So they told all over the camp, we're Wurtzen's Raiders and we're going to hike all the way to the top of this mountain called Mount Hoffman. Mary and I heard somewhere that you could see a candlelight for mile after mile after mile. So I said that when I got to the top of this mountain that night, we would light the candle and she would be able to see it. I knew she was going to fall in love with me because she stood out there for several hours, never did see the candle, was absolutely furious with me, and that's another story that we'll tell another time. <laughs> I took these guys on my dad's Chrysler, drove about two miles north of Scroon Lake with all their gear. I put 100-pound packs on their back. We had to bring a trailer with us, too. And um, before we took off, I said, you climb up this pine tree and take a heading on the mountain. He says, do what? I said, yeah. I gave him this compass. I said, you look at the compass. When you get up the top of the tree, just take your, you can set your compass, set a heading on that mountain. I showed him how to do it, how to set his compass, and then we'll just walk according to that heading. He said, great, I got it. Chinny's up this big pine tree, takes a heading on Mount Hoffman, and then we started to walk. We walked up and over the north way, which goes to Montreal, and then we walked, and we walked, and we walked, and we walked. You see, there's one thing about this mountain. Usually when you go hiking, like in Colorado or something, or if you do the Appalachian Trail, there's trails. There's even, like in the Adirondacks, most mountains even give you all kinds of little uh, aluminum circular dealy bops to tell you where we are. This mountain has no trails, nothing, just bushwhacking straight up through raw woods. Man, we went up and over dead trees and everything else. We hiked for eight hours straight, all the places our map said there was water, no water. We get eight hours, it starts to get dark, and we come up over this ridge, and we'd been hiking up and up and up. I said, man, this is going to be right on the mountain. It was right on our heading, right where we needed to go. And we got right to the top of the mountain, and what to our wondering eyes should appear but a great big valley, and then Mount Hoffman. You see, what you couldn't see from the island is that in front of Mount Hoffman was another mountain that was just about as big as Mount Hoffman, but it was not as big. It was about a quarter of a mile from the top of that mountain, and then there was a great big ravine, and then you had to go up, and we were faced with a decision. I said to all the guys, what do you think? You know, what are we going to do? Should we go up to the top of the mountain or should we just say we got almost there and go back to the island? And that's what we want to talk about today. Because in our passage today in Deuteronomy, the Moses reminds us in Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 18, Moses reminds us of a choice. It was a choice that the children of Israel had to make. And in chapter, Deuteronomy chapter 1, verses 18 and following, Moses talks to the children of Israel about the choices that they needed to make. 
The children of Israel in the story of the Exodus come across this northern part, uh, this northern part of the Red Sea. The Lord parts the waters and they come up here and they come down to Mount Sinai, which is probably one of the mountains that's down the very tip of the Sinai Peninsula. Now the Lord promised to give them this land, excluding this land, which is the land that belongs to the Moabites. He doesn't give that to them, but he gives them all this land going all the way to the north through Lebanon. So the Lord says to, in the Abrahamic promise, I'll give you all this land. Now what the children of Israel are going to do in our passage today, they're going to leave Mount Sinai. The Lord's going to say, I want you to get out of Mount Horeb and I want you to travel north. They came north to a place called Kadesh Barnea. Kadesh Barnea. It's right in the southern part of the promised land. And it's going to say, you have now come to the hill country of the Amorites. At Kadesh Barnea, the children of Israel had to make a very strategic choice. And that's what we're going to talk about today with the kids and with the teenagers and adults. We want to talk about the choice that the children of Israel made at this mountain. Facing the mountain of the Amorites. Did they decide to go up? Did they decide to stay, stay away? And what we're going to do is relate it to our own lives. So let's pick it up there. Pick up this story. I want to talk first of all in verses 19 through 25 about the goodness of God's gift of the land and the goodness of his protection. So let's read Deuteronomy chapter 1 verses 19 and following. And there we read these words. Then as the Lord our God commanded us, we set out from Horeb, that's right down here at Mount Sinai. Horeb is just another alternative name for Sinai. We went up toward the hill country of the Amorites. So they walked up through here towards the hill country of the Amorites. Through all this vast and dreadful desert that you have seen, and so we reach Kadesh Barnea. Later on in the book of Deuteronomy, it tells us that there's scorpions and there are other kinds of snakes. If you've ever been in the deserts of Arizona, you'll have somewhat of a feel, or the deserts of New Mexico, somewhat what this land is like, or the Baja Peninsula of California. It's that dry, rugged, mountainous terrain. And what the Lord is telling them and what Moses is reminding them is that the Lord was with them during this trek through this vast and dreadful desert. Then I said to you, you have now reached the hill country of the Amorites, which the Lord our God is giving us. See that the Lord your God has given you the land. The Lord's going to give them all this land to the north. The Lord is giving you the land. What tense is that? He's presently giving it to you. It is yours. It belongs to you. See, the Lord your God has given you the land. Go up and take possession of it as the Lord, the God of your fathers, told you. Do not be afraid and do not be discouraged. Now what the Lord is reminding the children of Israel that as they came up through this wilderness, the Lord took care of them. Later on in our text today, the Lord's going to say, I was like a daddy who carried you. And any of you daddies that have taken your kids hiking or gone on any long camping trip, you've probably ended up carrying your kids like I have, carrying Joshua and Janae when they were younger on camping trips. The Lord is picturing himself like a daddy who does that. Now, the very first thing I want you to see is that in Israel's life, when they came to this strategic point of decision, they had a history of being in the wilderness, in this vast and terrible wilderness, and yet God took care of them. And what we have is in verses 19 and 20, the Lord promises them, you obeyed me. 
And when you obeyed me, I brought you through, through the wilderness and I protected you. In verse 21, we have the certainty of God's promise. I am giving you the land. And in verse 27, we have the wisdom of careful preparation. That is, in verse 27 or verse 22, then, the, then all of you came to me and you said, let us send men ahead to spy out the land for us and bring back a report about the route we are to take and the towns we will come in. And the idea seemed good to me, and I selected 12 of you. Remember the story of the 12 spies, Caleb and Joshua, two of those spies. They left, and they went up into the hill country, so they left Kadesh Barnea, went up, and they spied out, especially the area around Hebron, where there's some beautiful grape uh, vineyards and that kind of thing. They left and went up to the hill country and came to the valley of Eshcol, which is right near Hebron, and they explored it. They took some of the fruit of the land. And they brought it down to us and they reported, it is a good land that the Lord our God is giving us. All this is preparatory. What the Lord is saying is, you have now come through the wilderness. You obeyed me. You can count on the certainty of my promise. And they've even sent spies ahead who can say, the land itself is very good. And so all the objective choices say we should go up and possess the land. I want you to think about your own life because I believe that in every one of your spiritual pilgrimages, you begin to walk through some vast and terrible deserts. In other words, if I think of comparing this to the pilgrimage of the believer, most of you can remember your Exodus experience when God did a great miracle to deliver you from slavery to the world system. And what we mean by that, when you were born again into God's family, you were set free from the laws of sin and death. And there's tremendous excitement like that. In Israel's history, Aaron got all the women and they danced before the Lord, several thousand strong, and they rejoiced. And some of you can remember the early days when you were born again. There's a strategic period right after you were born again where you're hungry, where you're excited, where you've never been so high. But then you start going through the wilderness. It starts to get dry. It starts to get snakes in your path. And by the way, there's a great big snake that's in your path called Satan. And so this Christian life turns from being a holiday dance celebrating the deliverance from Egypt, the deliverance from the old world system, to beginning to slug it out and learning to obey. What a lot of you found out is that God did protect you. He did answer your prayers. He did meet your needs. He did help you to begin to conquer some of the sin that was in your life. But I believe what often happens is the Lord brings us to a point after delivering us in our salvation, the moment that we are born again, in taking us through the early days of our salvation. It takes only 11 days to go from Mount Horeb up here, or 15 days or so thereabouts. And we come to Kadesh Barnea, and some significant decisions have to be made at Kadesh Barnea. As I think of your lives and ministering to you over many years, I can think about some of you who started out really excited. You started out really involved. You started out with a great love for the Lord. But you came to a decision where the Lord says, now you need to obey me completely. You need to give me your life completely. Romans 12.1. You need to present your body as a living sacrifice. 
And some of you said, no. I don't want to do that. And that's what the children of Israel did. Some of you are at that point right now. Some of you are over that phase where you're really, you know, that initial phase of exuberant excitement about Christ. And you've come to a Kadesh, a spiritual Kadesh, where decisions have to be made. And what the Lord invites you to do, first of all, is He invites you to look back. Just like Moses invited the children of Israel to look back. He says, I want you to look back and I want you to remember that God took care of you in the wilderness. God protected you in the wilderness. God wants us to remember that when we obeyed Him, and you can all think back over your salvation history, when you obeyed, God comes through for you. God does draw near to you. He does meet your needs. When you obey Him, He's there. And so there's a lot of territory that you can look back upon to know. The incredible thing that can happen when we get at our spiritual Kadesh, we can hear the report and we can begin to focus one of two ways. What Moses does with the children of Israel in the next few verses is he focuses, he reminds them about a generation where the majority focused on the giants and the minority focused on the promise and the goodness of the, of the good land that God was going to give to them. The Lord is present. But in your life, you're focused on the giants or you're focused on the promises and the provision and the capabilities of God. And the tragedy of, of Deuteronomy chapter 1 is Moses has to remind the generation of the Israelites that had just wandered for 38 years, he has to remind them that 38 years before, the majority, the majority voted wrong. The majority voted about the giants, and that's where they focused. The minority voted for the promises of God, and 38 years later we're going to find out who really came in first. Let's look what it says. Let's go on as we look in verses 26 through 40. Our text develops this context. There's two different visions. One group focused on the giants, and another group focused on the Lord. Verse 26, but you were unwilling to go up you rebelled against the command of the Lord. Boy, those are, those are horrifying words Moses has to present to the audience that he's sharing with. Don't forget, the audience he's speaking to are the children of those who made this choice, and they have now spent 38 years of their life, close to 40 years of their life, wandering around this desert peninsula because of the choices, because of the rebellion. So Moses says, you were unwilling, your parents, in other words, were unwilling, you rebelled against the Lord your God. You grumbled in your tents. And this is what they said. The Lord hates us. He brought us out of Egypt to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us. Where can we go? Our brothers have made us lose heart. They say the people are stronger and they're taller than we are and the cities are large and the walls up to the sky. We even saw the Anakites. The Anakites are there. Boy, just think of that. I want you to see this, the combination. You have rebellion. Now, where does rebellion come from? Rebellion comes from who you're listening to. And what starts to happen is a group starts to look at the challenges that are ahead. We can do that in our, in our individual lives. We can look at what the costs are. Some of you in business can say, you know, Dave, I would really like to bring the Word of God into my Monday morning living, but I can't. 
You see, in the construction industry, everybody lies. Everybody says, I'll be there tomorrow. Man, I was, I was already planning on being there, and everybody knows it's a lie. You're not really going to be there for two weeks because you're hung up in another job. But you see, in order to keep business, you just have to lie a little bit. Dave, there's giants in the land. If I don't go along with that, my business will crash. And that can be a big giant. Some of you can say, well, David, you see, if I don't do certain things at certain parties that my business wants to throw, you see, I just will never get ahead. My boss will never buy it. And my boss is the one that writes my recommendations. He's going to ruin my entire career. And what you're saying, there's giants in the land. You get in college, you know, and everyone else is cheating. And you want to go to medical school. And everyone else is cheating, and, and they know exactly how to cheat well. Man, they write it in their watches. You know, they put the answers in a watch, and they kind of roll it up that way. Some of them look like the football team, you know, with the plays written on their wrist. Which is a good way to do it when you don't have a huddle. They're not doing it because they can't remember them. They do it to run a quick offense. But you don't run quick offenses when you're taking tests in university or in high school. You say, but Dave, you see, if I don't do that, I'm not going to be able to, I'm not going to be able to get the career that I want. That's a giant that's in your land. The children are saying we just can't go ahead. How many of you ever come to a place in your Christian life where you just say, you know, the Christian life is just too hard? How many of you have ever found that the Christian life is filled with struggle? How many of you can remember back before you knew the Lord, when you were just a normal, everyday unbeliever, wasn't life a little bit easier back then? In fact, I have believers that come to me and say, you know, I have some unbelieving friends, and their life seemed so uncomplicated. It seems so simple. It seems so fun. And my life is filled with conflict. And that's true. When you decide to follow Jesus, the Lord Jesus never said there wouldn't be giants in the land. There are giants in the land. And there are giants that can kill you. But he says, I'm within you. Greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. But what can happen to us is we can begin to rebel. And rebellion is a spirit that begins to come over an entire group. And when you begin to get rebellious, you start griping. And when you start griping, you begin to say things like, man, the Lord's really, really bad. You see, that's what the children of Israel started to say. The Lord God really isn't that good. All the evidence was just contrary to that. The Lord powerfully separated the Red Sea took two million people through it. He just took care of them in this vast and terrible desert. He fed them. He gave them water. He gave them everything they needed. And yet they come to Kenesh Barney and they said, the Lord brought us out here to kill us. Now, the neat thing about reading about the children of Israel is all of us can piously sit there and go, man, I can never believe they were rebellious. You ever feel that way? How could they gripe like that? How could they ever doubt? I mean, you mean a people that went through the Red Sea actually thought God wanted to kill them? How stupid could they get? Well, isn't hindsight always great? You see, the, what I realized as I listened to the Lord talk me through this passage is that kind of nutty, irrational rebellion is in my own heart. Anybody in this audience ever get mad at God? You thought God was out to get you? And don't be pious about it. It's very important to be honest about that. 
You see, we can come on Sunday morning and we can sing, boy, you know, our, all creatures of our God and King, and we're going to sing praise to him. And in our hearts, we can say, Lord, I think you're really trying to, you know what, to me. And that's a spirit of rebellion. And then you begin to gripe. You can begin to gripe. And, and as you begin to gripe in your tents, it starts to infect like a cancer. It goes all over the place. And that's what Moses is calling the attention of the people. You see, that griping and that rebellious spirit destroys the unity. And it causes a whole group of people, instead of having their eyes on God, to begin to have their eyes on the giant. And they say, we want to go back. We want to go back down here in Egypt. And they forget all about, hey, you were slaves in Egypt. You were being destroyed in Egypt. Egypt was not Disneyland USA. It was blood and whips and, and, hour, and hours and hours of, of slave labor. But up at Kadesh Barnea, they forgot all about the pain of being back in Egypt. The same thing can happen in our spiritual lives. We can forget about the pain. At Kadesh, spiritually, we can forget the pain of what it really is to live under the control of the passions of our evil nature. What it really is to be in Satan's kingdom. We forget about that. We want to go back. Have you come to a point like that in your life? You feel tired of the struggle and nostalgically look back to your days before Christ? Some of you who grew up in believing homes might find yourself looking with longing at the apparent ease and freedom of the unbelieving lifestyle. Some of you might be thinking that it just isn't worth it to keep following Christ and face the abuse and rejection of your friends. Please, before you turn around, take a hard look at the lesson of Kadesh Barnea from Deuteronomy chapter 1. One generation of Israelites came to this place and refused to press forward and keep on trusting the Lord. This rebellion plunged them into a life of aimless wandering. The next generation came to the same point, and this time they chose to go into the land with General Joshua. The very name means He, God, will deliver, and this is the same name of Jesus. He is our Savior, our Joshua, and He always brings victory in the end. There is protection in obedience. You can depend upon the certainty of God's promise and it pays to make careful preparation for the journey. The study of God's Word is part of this wise preparation, and thanks for allowing us to have a part in the teaching that God brings to guide you.